You know, guys, we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, and we've started in chapter 3, and I purposely chose not to go through the first two chapters for this reason. I thought I would wait until we came to the Christmas season, and then I would uh, basically share with you the messages from these two passages as they talk about the birth of Jesus, as they talk about Jesus' childhood and so forth. Because I wanted you to see that really, in reality, God gave us the greatest gift. The greatest gift that he could ever give anyone is his own son, Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, as John 3.16 says. You know, the reality is, is that this time of year, we really need to be reminded about the reality that God sent his son for you and I so that we could have eternal life. Now, now here's the problem. The problem is, is that it's been almost 2,000 years since that event took place. And, and the reality of it is, is this, listen to me, the reality is, is that we kind of have kind of watered it down to where it's almost acceptable. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's kind of like a nice, quaint little story where we just think in terms of how, isn't that wonderful, the birth of Jesus? Isn't that great? Let's, let's read that story together and everybody be so awed by it. But the reality is, is that what really took place is not that beautiful. Because to be honest with you, there's actually more to the story that we kind of overlook or that we gloss over. I was kind of reminded that that's what we do with things in our world, is we kind of gloss over the story and make it really great and wonderful. So for instance, like for instance, have you considered the story of Pocahontas? I was just reading that this week. You know, Disney's Pocahontas. What does that have to do with anything, George? Well, you know, we look at the story and we think, we, you know, you've gone to see the Disney Pocahontas or whatever, and you hear about her saving John Smith and all of these things and about how wonderful her life was and wasn't it great. Well, you know, the sad reality is history tells another story. When she saved John Smith's life, her age was probably about 10 or 11. <gasps> and then she died at the age of 21, being forced to marry... Englishmen. And then she died away from here in England, not because she wanted to be there. That didn't come out in Disney, did it? Why did I share that with you? Because I need you to understand that beneath all of the celebration and beneath of all that's going on, there is probably a grain of truth that we haven't even considered before that we need to consider. And we're going to consider one of those things today. And that's the scandal of Jesus' birth. Did you realize that there was a scandal about how Jesus came about? Maybe you've never thought about that. It's right in our Bible. There's a scandal right there, just booming right out. In fact, it's referred to many times in the gospel by Jesus' enemies. It's about the whole concept about how he came about. There's a scandal there. And what we're going to see is, is that God, in His wisdom and in His grace, in His love for us, sometimes uses, are you ready for this, things that are out of our box and out of our frame of reference 
to bring about what he wants to bring about. We're going to see it today in an account that, to be very honest with you, is pretty scandalous. And we're going to see it through Jesus, through the interaction with Joseph, and telling him not to divorce Mary. Look with me. We're going to look today at verse 18 of chapter 1. Look with me in what, what it says. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. His mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with the child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and she, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, but did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and called his name Jesus. Here's what I want you to see, folks. We're gonna, we're gonna look at this passage, these verses, and, and I'm basically going to divide it into three sections. We're gonna talk about the scandal, because whether you realize it or not, there was a scandal about Jesus' birth. Do you understand? There was a scandal. And then we're gonna talk about the reaction. There's a reaction that's taking place to what's going on. Joseph is going to react to that. We're going to see the reaction. And then we're going to see God's plan. Because Joseph has a dream, and in the dream, an angel of the Lord, an angel comes to him and tells him what he needs to do. We're going to see God's plan. And from that, we're going to try and draw some principles for you and I today. So let's look, first of all, at the scandal. Look with me at verse 18. Look at what he says there. Matthew writing says this, Now, the birth of Jesus was as followed. And his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found with a child of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me explain something to you folks. Today, our culture is completely different from their culture. Does everybody understand that? Our culture is completely different from their culture. Today, if, if a young lady is not married and has a baby, that's really not a big issue in our culture today. Have you noticed that? It's not a big issue. But in their culture, that was a major issue. Why? Well, especially in this case, it would be a major issue because she was betrothed. Now, what's betrothed mean, George? Well, it's kind of like our word for engagement only it has a little bit more meaning than that. Now, if you're married here, you remember that engagement period, right? Where, where you got a ring, and, and young ladies here, you got that ring, and then you were anticipating the wedding day, and you're doing all the planning and so forth, and you're, and you're like ready for the day. But yet, you could always decide in our culture that if you don't like the dude, you could give him back, or maybe you won't give him back, his ring. 
Right? And then it would be over, right? You would be free to do whatever you wanted to do. That was not the way it was back then. Here's the way it was in their culture. Oftentimes, are you listening to me? The marriage was arranged by the parents. Oh, isn't that wonderful? And the chances are that it probably was arranged with, typically with a distant cousin. And what would happen was, is these arrangements would take place while you were, are you listening to me, a child. And in Mary's case, she would have been betrothed by the age of, we typically think of Mary here being at the age of about 13. She's not a young woman. She's basically a 13-year-old. She becomes betrothed to this man, Joseph, who is a relative of hers, distantly. They're all from the line of David. Who is betrothed to her. And so what ends up happening is, it's kind of like you enter into this agreement where it's kind of like a halfway marriage. Where you basically are kind of married, but you're not. But see, during their betrothal period, the bride would be in her father's house, kind of waiting for when the bridegroom would have all of his arrangements ready, typically meaning he would have a home ready, usually built onto his father's house, and then he would come and get you to be married. And in that time, you were kind of married, but you weren't married. You were considered his wife, even though you weren't formally his wife yet. But it was almost like you were married. Now, here's the problem. They're betrothed. They're just waiting for the final segment of the marriage thing to happen. And here's what happens. This 13-year-old girl becomes pregnant. Now, you and I know how it is. I mean, if you, if, especially ladies, the first few months maybe you don't even know that you're pregnant. And then all of a sudden things aren't the way they used to be. And, and you could say typically... Probably Mary didn't know at first she was pregnant, and then all of a sudden there she is, she's pregnant. And, and But the problem is, is she's in her father's house, she probably has never been around another man, but the problem is now she's pregnant. Now, if that were to happen in our culture, most of us would immediately think, what have you been doing? That's just a natural reaction, right? Who have you been seeing? And that would be true in her day as well. Why? Because being pregnant by God, having a child conceived in you by God, that doesn't happen every day. Being a virgin and conceiving a child doesn't happen every day. So you can see the scandal. Two things I want you to see here that we need to draw and understand here is this. We have to recognize that God does not operate within our norms. We have to recognize that God doesn't operate within our norms. You know what, if it were, if it were up to us, can I be honest with you? If you're here and, and you are growing in your relationship with Jesus and you had to figure out a plan for how... Jesus was to be born, we probably wouldn't go about it this way. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? To have a, a, a 
teenager quietly get pregnant while she's engaged to another man and then just leave her out there, are you listening to me, to face the scrutiny and the accusations of everybody. Do you know what I mean? Think about it for a moment. Think about the day Mary realizes that she's pregnant and she's got to tell her mom and dad. That wouldn't be an easy conversation, would it? Think about your neighbors finding about it and the loose lips that are taking place. We would never wish that on anybody, would we? But that's how God chose to do it. See, you and I need to understand that we have to recognize that God does not operate within our standards of normal. Do you understand what I'm saying? Within our standards. God sometimes acts out of the box. Do you know what I mean? And that's so hard for us to grasp. But man, it comes right out of this Christmas story, doesn't it? comes right out of the Christmas story. In fact, here's the other thing I want you to see. Jesus' conception was tainted by the accusation of adultery. You see that throughout the Gospels. In fact, the Pharisees would say things like this. You'll read it in the Gospels. Isn't this Jesus, the carpenter's son? Just the way that is phrased, scholars believe very clearly that what the Pharisees are referring to is the fact that how Jesus came about, his background. Do you understand? They would know his background, and they would use his background and the circumstances of his birth as a slam against him, as a point against him. So you see the scandal here? The birth of Jesus is not without scandal because it appears very clearly here that there seems to be something different that's not normal here. It seems like maybe adultery, but we're going to find out that it isn't. And so we see the scandal. Here's here's the reaction. You feel for poor Joseph. You just feel for poor Joseph. Word comes to him that the gal he's going to be formally married to, that he's betrothed to right now, is pregnant. You wonder what's going through his mind, right? Anger, shock. But look at how he responds. Look with me at verse 19. Then Joseph, his husband, her husband, excuse me, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. What's going on here? Here's here's the reaction. First of all, the law and culture called for Mary to be killed. Just being flat out honest with you. When it comes to the issue of adultery, they were not that tolerant. In fact, we see that. Don't you remember the incident with Jesus later on when they bring to him the woman caught in adultery and ask, what shall we do with her? Moses called for her to be stoned. And that's when Jesus says to him, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Remember, that was their culture. And so for Mary, this public humiliation required a public response. And so the law and the culture of that time was, is the requirement called for Mary to be killed. And typically the killing was to be done by stoning. 
to have the community come together and throw stones at you until you die. That's the reaction. But I want you to notice now what Joseph decides to do. It's interesting. It says something about his character. Here's what I want you to see. Joseph wants to quietly deal with the scandal. He wants to quietly deal with it. That says a lot about the guy's character, doesn't it? I mean, think about it for a moment. He doesn't know at this point. I want you to stop for a moment. He doesn't know what we know. He doesn't know that this child that that she's carrying is a special baby. That this child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That there was no scandal. That there was no adultery taking place here. That this is a special child. This is the God child. This is fully God, fully human being conformed in her body. He doesn't know that. All he knows is, is the gal that I'm supposed to be formally married to, that I'm betrothed to right now, the gal that I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with, is pregnant, and how did that happen? And oh my goodness, here's what the thoughts are. Who has she been seeing? And this is really scandalous. And this doesn't look good on me either. And and, and, and and there's going to be anger. There's going to be hurt. And look at what he decides to do. He decides to not make her a public spectacle. What does that mean? He decides not to have her go through the public shame and be stoned. But he was going to divorce her. See, seriously, at this point, it's not a formal marriage. It's not just your typical engagement in our life. He had to divorce her. And he was just going to divorce her quietly. Quite a reaction, isn't it? It says a lot about his character. So that's what he's contemplating. That's what's going through his mind. But then, in verses 20 through 25, specifically in verses 20 through 23, we see that something unusual happens to Joseph. He has a dream. Now, let me just stop for a moment before we look at God's plan in this dream. I need you to understand that in their culture, and as is true in the Middle East even to this day, a lot of stock is put in dreams. And very clearly, Joseph is having a dream here, a vision which is from God. And God is trying to communicate to Joseph through this dream about this baby that Mary is carrying. So look with me at verse 20. Look at what he says there. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you, Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Look with me. I want you to see a couple things here about God's plan. Here's what happens. He's thinking about these things. He's trying to decide what he needs to do. He's talking about quietly putting her away. 
And, and you can almost see that he's exhausted from emotion. He takes, goes to sleep. And God, through the angel of the Lord, appears to him. The angel of the Lord appears to him and warns him about doing what he's thinking about doing. And it's telling him, this is what you need to do, Joseph. Why? Here's the first point I want you to see here. That what is happening is a God thing. Joseph, what's happening here is a God thing. It's a God thing. Sometimes, folks, you know what? You and I need to, to step back and think about how God works in our lives. And He doesn't work inside the boxes of how we think He should work. Sometimes He acts outside of the box. Sometimes He does things that are outside of our norms. And sometimes you just have to take a step back and you say, this has got to be a God thing. That's what was going on here, isn't it? A 13-year-old virgin girl conceiving a child. That's a God thing. And so the angel of the Lord says to, to, to Joseph, don't put her away. This is a God thing. God has a purpose for this. This child is special. In fact, here's what we're going to see. Verse 21, he tells us what the purpose of the child is. Jesus' purpose is to save us from the consequences of our sin. You want to know why Jesus came? You want to know why Jesus came? It's right here in this passage. It's, it's in other passages of the scripture. I was looking at one of Peter's sermons, his second sermon in, in, in Acts chapter 3. And, and, and very clearly Peter is talking about the purpose of why Jesus came. is to save us from our sins. What does that mean, George? Same thing it means here. To save us from the consequences of our sins. Because if you look at verse 21, look at what he says. For he will save his people from their sins. He will save us from our sins. The consequences of our sins. Stop for a moment. Think about that. Does everybody understand? Theologically, practically, in your life, the stuff you do wrong has consequences. you realize that? The stuff you do wrong affects you, not just affects you, it affects everybody around you. You ever notice that? Nothing's ever secret. There's no private sins. It may be private in the sense that nobody else knows about it, but as soon as they find out about it, have you noticed the devastation there is? See, Jesus just didn't come to save you from hell, folks. He came to save you from the consequences of your own stuff. Because the consequences, can I be honest with you, are not just measured in how it affects everybody else. It's also measured in how it affects you. Because don't we carry the shame of what we do? Don't we carry the guilt? And have you noticed that just doesn't leave? Have you noticed it just doesn't disappear? Oh, you can make it go away for a little bit maybe and you can forget about it for a little bit. But have you noticed how it always comes back? It's always confronting us right in our face. The shame, the humiliation of what we've done. Do you understand? Those are all consequences. And the fact of the matter is is that Jesus came, listen to me, Jesus came to what? Save you from your sins. The consequences of your sins. Is that not awesome? Because when you're confronted with the reality of what you've done for the hundredth or the millionth time, and for some of us it's a millionth time, isn't it? 
you could sit there and say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me from this. Thank you for restoring me to a relationship with you. And it's not because of you. It's because he sent his son, Jesus, to die for you. This is what the the angel is saying to Joseph. Joseph, listen, this is a God thing going on here. And this baby, this special baby, whom you're going to call Jesus, God with us, is going to save people from the consequences of their sin. See, that's what we're missing. I'll just be flat out honest with you, okay? We are so warped. Can I stop for a moment? Let me just, I'm going to get on, a, I'm going to get on my soapbox, okay? We are so warped about what we think about Christmas today, it is so unreal. See, we have an easier time at Easter reflecting on the fact that Jesus died for our sins, right? At Easter, because we think about the cross and the resurrection. You know what? We should be thinking the same thing about Christmas. Why? Because that's why he came. To save you from your sin. So guess what? We get all worked up when some company produces a red cup, and because they don't say anything about Christmas on it, we get all out of whack. Well, first of all, Christmas isn't about red cups. Or the clerk at Walmart saying happy holidays to you or Merry Christmas. Christmas is about Jesus coming to save you from your sins. It's not about the gifts. Love the gifts. It's not about the cheese balls. Definitely love the cheese balls. Okay? Okay? All right? Got to get that in there. You know, I can remember in our early years, we'd have more than one cheese ball. Now I'm reduced down to just one, okay? But uh, here's the next thing I want you to see about what this angel says to Joseph. Verse 22 and 23. He says this. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. What's what's going on here? It's a fulfillment of God's plan. You know, if it was up to us to try to figure out how to bring salvation to people, I'll just be flat out honest with you, nobody here would come up with a concept of get a 13-year-old girl pregnant, have her have a baby as a virgin, have that baby grow up in obscurity, wait until he's about 30 years of age, then allow him to minister and do miracles and so forth, take him and then brutalize him, put him on a cross to die for our sins, have him buried, and on the third day, raise him from the dead and let him ascend into heaven later on. None of us would ever think of that, would we? But that's God's plan. And the child being born, and the child that would be conceived in Mary, and that would come forth, that would be called Jesus, and the whole circumstance of his birth is God's plan. 
you've got to let that settle in. Think for a moment. When we talk about Jesus and his birth, I want you to think about this. I want you to take it all total. Take it all total. Take it all total. Think about it from the perspective of Joseph, who's got to carry the humiliation of having a gal that he's engaged to, betrothed to, being pregnant, and the scandal of that, people wondering, well, is it from him or is it from somebody else? And, and then you here's Joseph. He has this dream. He understands this is a special baby who's going to save everybody from their sins. And, and the angel says to him, it's God's plan. This is God's plan. This is what was foretold by the prophet. That's radical, isn't it? That this that the scandal that's all part of, listen to me, God's plan. That's what's so amazing about this story. That's what we don't see. That's what you and I need to grasp. There's one other thing I want you to see from this passage. I didn't go through with these verses, but I, I'm going to point them out to you here. Look with me at verse 24 and 25. Look at what Matthew records. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and called his name Jesus. Here's what I want you to see. There needs to be a response of faith. That's how Joseph responded. As soon as he had this dream where God came to him, the angel of the Lord came to him and told him what was going on, he wakes up from that dream and guess what he does? He takes this gal who's pregnant and by faith he takes her as his wife and then he cares for her until she brings forth her his first her firstborn son, Jesus, and he takes that boy as his own. That's faith. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's faith that he doesn't divorce her. It's faith that he doesn't make her a public humiliation. It's faith he does what God calls her. In fact, I'm going to tell you how powerful his faith is here. Look at what it says there in verse 25. And did not know her. That word know there means sexual intimacy. He waited. In fact, here's what you don't know. We know this from the culture of the time. Typically, when a mother had a child, are you ready for this? The couple would not be sexually intimate for at least until the baby was weaned. Now, here's what the weaning process was in their culture. Typically, a baby was weaned at the age of three. That's called faith, isn't it, folks? That's the response of faith from Joseph, isn't it? That's what's so amazing about this story. It's not just how he, she came to be conceiving a child within her. It's not just the amazement of who's there, but it's also talking about the faith of two people, a girl named Mary and a guy named Joseph. 
What do we do with this? Well, let me give you a couple things to think about. Because how do we find application to this? I mean, yes, there is application. Jesus came and, and he died for us and, he, and he's saving us from our sins. Yes, that is the application. But I've, I've got a couple questions I want you to think about. Because I want you to put yourself for a moment in their shoes. Put yourself, if you're a guy here, or even a gal, put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a moment. And, and being told that the gal or that you're supposed to marry, or the guy, the gal especially, if you're a guy, is pregnant, and it's like, you're not the one. How would you respond? How would you react? Think about it, this whole situation and how it's all part of God's plan. And so I want you to think about that for a moment. And I want you to think about, listen to me, two questions. Here's the first one. Have you put God in a box? Have you put God in a box? What do you mean by that, George? Have you put God in a box? What do you, what do you mean by that? Well, here's what I mean by that. What I mean by that is, is have you so figured out God that you don't believe that he can act any other way than other what, in other, in other than what you think that he can act as? Sometimes we do that in church. Sometimes we can get to the place where we think we're so theologically educated that God can't act outside of our concept of him. And so because of that, can I be honest with you, you're hindering your own spiritual life. Because you can't grasp the reality that God might act in some other way in your life. Have you put God in a box? You know, if we're honest with ourselves, I'll be honest with myself, sometimes I do that. A lot of times I do that. Because again, I want you to think about it. If you think about the story of what we're talking about here, none of us would come up with that as a story. That's not a, that's not a kind of film we would film for Hallmark Channel, would it? It's a wonderful life is a better story, isn't it? Have you put God in a box? Here's the second thing. <clears throat> Are you reacting to what God is doing? Are you reacting to what God is doing? I, I don't know what the circumstances is in your life. Maybe God is doing something out of the box in your life, and you just can't handle that. Maybe you've got a wrong concept of what's going on, and, and you're reacting. You know, Joseph, in fact, he was going to react, but his reaction was going to be subdued. He was just going to put her away quietly. But that's still a reaction, right? He wasn't going to have her killed. He was just simply going to just divorce her quietly. That's still a reaction. How are you reacting to what God's doing in your life? Because here's the thing. If it's out of the box and you're not used to that, I can guarantee you you're reacting. But here's where it should be. Your reaction should be one of what? Faith. Trust. Because that's where your hope is. 
So here's what we need to do. Here's, here's what I'm going to ask you to pray about as we, we think about us, as we try to, to find the application from this for our lives today, as we think about Jesus dying for us. Here's what I want you to understand. We need to ask the Spirit to help you to grasp God's plan for you. He's got a plan for you. How do you know that, George? Well, he tells us in Ephesians that you were created for good works, which he determined beforehand. But here's the thing. Can I be honest with you? Usually when we think in terms of God's plan, if, if, we're, if we've got him in this box, we usually think of it in terms of great, wonderful things happening, no pain, no terrible experiences, no shame, no humility, and... We realize that that's usually not the way it works, is it? That God's plan sometimes is filled with pain. It's filled with hurt. And it's filled with difficulty. Because he's trying to accomplish something. Did you understand what I'm saying? And the question is, is are you going to trust him? Are you going to have hope in him? Are you going to put your faith in him? In spite of that. So ask the Spirit to help you to grasp God's plan for your life. Let's pray.